five, four, three, two. Welcome back, people of Earth, once again to What's Good Radio. I am, as always, your host, Chris Pennant, a.k.a. Jake Stanley, also known as Jumping Spider, the worldwide web slinger, the writing hand of the king, and a Chicagoan until Chicago ends. Uh, we're doing a redo this time, and I'd love to welcome back very special guest Annie Costable onto the show once again. Annie of the Chicago Sun-Times, been holding down the Chicago Sky beat for the last couple of years now. Probably one of the most, if not the most fashionable journalist in the Chicago area. I'm dead serious. You know, Andy's <laughs> laughing, but I'm dead serious. Um, and she is, Andy, I've, I've said this time and again. I think that you put a lot of heart and soul into this. It comes through not just in your writing, but in your interaction on social media with people, um, whether they're fellow journalists, whether they're um, readers, fans of the team you know, not fans of the team. So again, love having you on the show. Thanks for coming back on. I appreciate it. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me, Chris. You're a great friend. I'm, I'm honored to be on and always um, honored by your, by your, um, what is it? I'm blanking on the word. Oh, the intros? Your, no, you're like kind thoughts about me. What are compliments? Oh my gosh. <laughs> no. I'm not good at taking a compliment, but thank you for, um, hyping up my my wardrobe I do try pretty hard to come correct and that means a lot because I know I came straight from a Sox playoff game one day and my sports addled mine the sky won that game I think it was the game against Dallas and so I was like I'm, I'm coming with this with this 83 uh throwback jersey every every single time and, and Andy's coming through with the like white sweater and um, high top, high top Nike dunks, <laughs> like super clean, looking like they'd never been out of the box. And I'm like, man, I, <laughs> so I, I do, look so slovenly. I do mix up my shoes enough to like keep my sneakers looking clean because I don't overwear them because I feel like I mix up a lot of my shoes. Like I do love wearing heels a lot. And then I have my super trash, um, chucks that I wear I, I've literally <laughs> had since college so I wear hey. those a lot and those are like I think look better when they're dirty so so yeah my Jordans are always pretty or, or I think they're always clean because I just I save them <laughs> now this is that kind of leads me into a fun one because that game three of the finals was a Friday night game and I I observed on uh, Twitter because I was thinking when this guy moved to Wintrust um TIF funds aside and how that deal got done, that location by McCormick Place was going to either be part of or contribute to the revitalization of like that, that south, that uh, near south side, uh, Motor Row, I call it, as all the dealerships were on Michigan Avenue in Indiana. Uh -huh. And so you see all the hotels on, on Cermak on 22nd Street. So that game felt like a finals game, but also felt like a Friday night event. Like people came dressed to the nines. And so you came through and you had like, you had your heels on, you had your, um, it was like a Friday night. Like you were going to cover this game and then go, and like, then go out. like tear that shit down. And, and I then I did, <laughs> I did. I went out after that game. I had uh, like this vintage red blazer dress on, which is one of my favorite dresses of all time. And I did, I was like, listen, this is a Friday night game, game three of the finals. Like I am, I'm wearing every 
badass like <laughs> journalistically inspired outfit like I could I could get off this this week because when else are you gonna wear it for sure you know like the when else are you gonna dress up better like for a game <laughs> it's the finals and you know like you it's it's not just like you look back in in um sports in like the mid-century and people came in suits and, and dressed up like it was you know like we're going out like when you get to the playoffs and the finals I think back when we were kids in the 90s even the 2000s like people of note would come out to these games like it was an event and it seems like with Chicago it, it helps that they got Candace that they had the strong team this year but you see that in um in Las Vegas and Los Angeles do you feel like that's coming through now where the league's popularity and presence, really the presence in marketing and visibility is growing to the point where there's going to be games on Friday night during the regular season that people are going to be like, yo, we're going to the game and then we're going to hit downtown. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we saw the way that the sky took advantage of that specifically for the finals. Cause I mean, we know that that was not the case all season. Like people weren't showing up for the sky like that all season. And, and we got to be honest about that. Like the two back-to-back sold out crowds was not, was not what was happening throughout the, the 2021 season. And that's okay, but, or it's not okay. Scratch that. It's not okay. But <laughs> um, I do think that it's going to translate into this season, or at least the sky front office needs to make sure it translates into this, this season. And I talked to sky president and CEO, CEO, um, Adam Fox. And I know they have a lot up their sleeve ahead of the 2022 season, but I mean, listen, coming off a championship, they need to be pouring into this franchise now more than ever. Yeah. I talked to Eric Nemchak. I'm I'm sure you've interacted with Eric and he posted, I think a week or two after the finals ended, um, he was basically just wondering if the momentum that the team had was going to carry over in the next season with marketing, with fan presence, with um, basically just bringing more fans out. When you say that the sky are pouring money in without revealing anything, what would you have them do if you were in the front office? How would you keep the hardcore fans that have been riding with the team for so long and also keep that momentum from people who started watching the team as they gained steam late in the season? I think they need to market their players better. I mean, you have Candace Parker, Courtney Vandersloot, Allie Quigley, Diamond DeShields, Kalia Copper, Stephanie Dolson. Like you have a lineup of some of the most entertaining, intriguing, interesting, creative players in the WNBA. Like these women need to be everywhere in the city. Like, and, and I just don't think that that's been taken advantage of the way that it should. I don't think that the players have been Um, promoted the way that they should specifically here in Chicago. Um, And I also think the hype around uh, games needs to be bigger. I mean, maybe get a DJ at games. Like I was talking to my friend, Brooke Weisbrod today, who is also a journalist. She works for ESPN. And that was something like she threw out there. And when she said it, it, it didn't, it didn't blow my mind. It just made perfect sense. Like it was like, yes, obviously there are so many strong women DJs in Chicago. And I mean, men too, but like, let's start with the women. And I just think that that would be an easy way to bring in some young energetic fans on a Friday night. Like the first game of the season is Friday, May 6th against the LA Sparks. Like have a DJ there, have one of the best DJs in Chicago there make it a party, make it like a Friday night party. 
And that's interesting because I know the Bulls have been having, they've had desk DJs and a, a regular DJ for a while. And honestly, I thought that the Sky had had a DJ at a couple of their games last season. If you didn't see it, you were there more often. So I, I could be wrong. They might have, and and like they do have. Oh gosh, I feel like I'm gonna be an ass here, but there have been games where I'm like, who's controlling the music? Because this is trash. <laughs> and maybe th- that was nice that they didn't have a DJ. I I know I, I know what you're talking about. There were some games where I'm like, is there a DJ somewhere? Because it wasn't just like tracks playing back to back to back but i i don't think see even that like it wasn't publicized it wasn't on their mm-hmm. twitter like hey come to the sky game guess who who's going to be here djing as well you know i think that that needs to to be um there just needs to be more hype around the team they're coming off a championship for fuck's sake like <laughs> jesus this needs to be a big deal yeah, no, I fully agree. I'm, I'm waiting to see what happens, you know, not just with free agency, but with the increased marketing, because I mean, they, they really have a chance. I think from what I saw at the stadium and talking to people, the respect for the level of basketball, the level of professional basketball is there and growing. Mm-hmm. And it's not like tickets are incredibly expensive. I think they're better than what the market value is, you know, like more favorable to the, to the fans who want, who would want to come out. And I always say if, if, if I'm a kid or if I'm a, a young person, or if I'm a parent with a young kid, I want to say, if I can look up that day at work and think, Hey, I want to go to the sky game and not think that I'm going to have to take out a loan to get a ticket. And it's still at that level. Yeah, it's definitely still at that level. And I know also another thing that that the sky are doing that, you know, I can mention on record is, is they're investing in, in their, um, their courtside ticket experience. They saw a huge increase in interest in, in, um, season tickets for courtside tickets. And so just leveling up that experience, because I mean, we saw elite, elite, um, Chicagoans came out to support the sky. Like chance was there, um, Scotty Pippen was there. Um, I mean, the list goes on. I'm like, I mean, Lori, Lori here, was out but... there. Lori was, Lori's been out there. I'll yeah. Lori's, much. but Lori's been out there. Like let's Lori's Lori's been in her seats every year, year after year. So Lori's going to stay in her seats. But what sure. I'm talking about is, is like the courtside experience that, that really does play into then people looking at these games as an entertainment experience, because like if chance is going out to a Friday night game or a Wednesday night game or a Sunday night game, like that's going to draw other people in. So um, there's definitely a lot of, uh, a lot that, that they're investing in. Um, I just don't think that should ever stop. Like there, (laughs) that, that should never be enough. There should never, there will never be a day where you get to a point and be like, okay, we're doing enough. It always, I just think needs more, 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 more always. I like that. I really, you know, that's, that's not a, a sentiment that I would have thought of. I always would think it's like, okay, have they gotten to a level that's, that is solid. And so you're saying it's like, there can never be enough things that they're doing to, to push this team. Exactly. And the league as a whole. Yeah. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, yeah, just in general, in general, in every sense of, of the investment that goes into women's leagues, always more. What's Good Radio, talking to Annie Costable of the Chicago Sun-Times. Annie, want to go back to the start. 
Um, everybody has an origin story. And I think a lot of the people I've talked to, me being a journalist, I usually interact with them. So they're who I've gotten on the show. But it's always interesting to, to find out what led people into this because uh, I talked to Seth Rosenthal that works at Secret Base. And he went to school for psychology. Um, Janice Scurrio that writes uh, White Sox and Fantasy Baseball. Um, it, she went in for library science, I believe. or, or um, And now she works in IT. I think I'm one of the few people who at some point was like, I want to be a journalist. That's what I'm going to do. So I want to hear about what got you started in this, going as far back as you can think and, and you know, how you ended up here on this beat. I knew when I was in high school that I wanted to be a journalist, um, but I didn't know like how exactly to, to get there. I just knew I, I wanted to do it. And it's a funny story. <laughs> and I feel like I talk about this all the time when I'm doing podcasts, but I was really inspired by LeBron James when I was in high school. Yeah. I, I, and I've told you this, you know, just personally before, but I loved LeBron James. I watched his highlights, his um, YouTube highlights all the time when I would come home from school or basketball practice. And back then it was like, you know, I, I mean, at least in my house, like we didn't have compute our own computers. So I'd watch on, um, on our, our family computer. And so my mom always like could see what I was doing. And, um, I will go as far back as his St. Vincent, St. Mary highlight tapes. And, you know, he had those like high school videos where then you'd, you'd see like young LeBron getting interviewed and, I just would go down a rabbit hole of, of, of tapes. And my mom one night, um, you know, just watching me, what I was doing, just, you know, looked over and told me, you know, you could do that. And I didn't really understand what she meant. So I was like, what do you mean? Um, you know, I, I clearly like, wasn't going to be LeBron James. And she was like, no, you could be the person that asked him the questions that gets mm. to know like the story behind the story. And she, oh my gosh, she always says that to me whenever I'm in a funk or like, you know, questioning whatever about my career path. She always just said, find the story behind the story, <laughs> which is yes. so kind of corny, but um, I just absolutely love her because it just always, whenever I hear someone say that, it makes me think of her and, and it's just something that will, you know, always bring me back to my mom. But yeah, so she said that to me and I was probably about like 15, 16 years old, like sophomore, junior year. And it wasn't, it wasn't like then I, you know, went back to my high school and, and worked for the student paper or anything. I, I didn't really commit to actually becoming a journalist until I got to college. So, you know, high school was just a time when, when I, that was when like the dream was, was born. Okay. And then once I got to college, I really committed to making it a reality. And, you know, I got into the J school at the University of Iowa and then, you know, immediately started working for the student run TV station. And that was kind of where I thought I was going to end up just because a lot of women are told that they belong in these front facing positions that I don't want to say like exploit their looks, but they've no, been put there, yeah they've been put there because again it's just like the way society tells women they're valuable because of their looks and so 
and I don't even want that to sound like I'm like thinking, oh my God, I'm some like beautiful person who everyone told should be on TV. That's not it. That's just where I saw women who worked in this industry. That's where I saw successful women. I saw them all on TV and doing sideline. Yeah, so, there's like the sideline reporter effect, which ex- I, it's so annoying because ex- they could be exactly. anchoring. Exactly, exactly. It's not even just that they could be anchoring. Like women could be doing anything. Women, yeah, everything. Yeah, women could be GMs. Women could be head coaches. Women could be um, athletic trainers. Women, women could could literally do anything in sports. And that was the point. So when I got out of college and and was challenged in just different ways in terms of uh, finding a full time position that's when I started exploring writing more. And I started freelance writing for different outlets here in Chicago and was also covering high school sports for the Comcast network and, you know, getting my reps in and on TV. And there were so many days. And it's funny because a friend of mine is actually at my apartment right now. And (laughs) she could literally attest to this, but there were so many days where I would like come home and be hysterical and like just talking about quitting everything. And like, I need to find a more stable job. I need to, to find more stability in my life. And another interesting point to that is just the instability that we see women in the WNBA and the NWSL experience. Like we can relate to that if, if you've gone through the ringer in, in the journalism business. And so in those moments, like I'm lucky I had the support system that I did and the friends that I did, the, my, my mom, because they just never let me quit. They always encouraged me to keep going. They encouraged me on the days where I was working some side job that I, I didn't care at all about. And they, they told me, okay, this is temporary. Like, just, just keep showing up, keep showing up. And so I did hit a breaking point. It was around, um, it was 2016. And, and I was like, I just need to get out of here. I went to stay with my aunt. She lives in Florida and it was around new year's. And I just told myself, I'm like, I'm going to apply to every job that I could find online that I feel even remotely qualified for. And if I get back to Chicago and by the end of January, don't hear from anyone, that's God telling me this business isn't meant for me. And so I, I sent out my resume, emailed a ton of people and I am not kidding you. I was getting on the flight back to Chicago and my soon to be editor at the Clarion Ledger in Jackson, Mississippi emailed me and it just said, Hey, Annie, this is Hugh Kellenberger from the Clarion Ledger. Um, we, we got your resume. I'd love to have a conversation with you about, uh, this open position we have. And, you know, I ended up getting the job, but it just, when I hear people talk about divine timing and alignment and everything, it just gives me chills because I, I can relate to that so heavily in my own experience in this business. And that I think is, that's the plan that I had that, and, and I admittedly did not have the, um, the fortitude that you did. I will fully admit that to anybody who asks, like you stuck it out and you took that job down South. And I think that's the typical plan that people have, at least back in the day. It's like, you start somewhere small 
and either you get somewhere big or you go back home to the big city, like where you're from and get the big time job. But it's still, there's still like gotta be, if not a culture shock specifically, difficulty going from Chicago, um, either, even going from going to school in Iowa, which is, you know, Big Ten and the Midwest does has good journalism schools. So going from there down to Mississippi, like, what was that like? Yeah, moving to Jackson was one of the best, most challenging, life-changing experiences of my entire life. Like before I left Chicago, I was in a studio at the time. And also, let me just say, there are, there are a couple important things. Like I was able to stick it out because I, I, again, had this support system behind me. I had have an incredible mother who, who supported me in so many ways. There are a lot of people who unfortunately cut their career short because they, they financially can't make it happen. Like, so, so I definitely am very privileged in that, in that sense. And, you know, when I, when I moved to Mississippi, again, just that culture shock was, was unbelievable, but it, it also was um, like, it was expected and it wasn't something I was scared of, but in preparing for that change in, in my life, I made myself sick. Like the week leading oh, up to, to moving, I was like experiencing terrible stomach pains um, and ended up going to the hospital. And they told me like, I, I just had a really bad stomach ulcer, but it was just caused from the anxiety and stress and worry of, am I cut out for this? Can I hack this? Uh, what if I moved down there and everybody thinks I'm a total fraud, you know, moving to Iowa, I, I, it was, it was just another extension of the suburb I grew up in. Like Iowa is a very white suburban, you know, preppy college town. Like it just okay. is. And that's not shade to, to Iowa by any means, but I, it was just another version of, of Illinois in a sense. And so moving to Mississippi, I knew no one. I had never been to the deep South in my life. And you know, it just, it was a brand new experience. And I went into it, you know, knowing that it was going to be hard, um, embracing that it was going to be hard. And so then when challenges did hit, I, I just, it's not that I was ready for it, but I just, I approached it, at, you know, with the same mentality, I approach anything. And that was just, um, <laughs> you know, never be quiet. It's like my, I have a loud mouth. I'm always going to have a loud mouth. Like I'm always going to speak my mind. I'm always going to stand up for what I believe in. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to report everything I report with an attitude. Like that's just, that's just how I am. So, you know, my personality didn't change and it, and it helped me a lot in a lot of those challenges that I experienced. Once again, what's good radio. I am Chris Pennant here with Annie Costable from the Chicago Sun-Times talking about her career in journalism and uh, the challenges that she's faced and the uh, victory she's had along the way. Uh, I know that you said that um, you had, you, you had to, you, cut, you adapted to being down South, I should say. 
Uh But was there ever a thought in your mind of, I'm going to come down here and stick it out? Or did you get opportunities that would have kept you in Mississippi or or led away from Chicago? And did you consider those? Or was there always a plan of, I'm going to come back home. I'm going to work for a Chicago paper. I'm going to work for a Chicago outlet. I genuinely loved Mississippi the more time I spent there. In the beginning, I, I was a wreck. Like I missed the city so much. I missed stepping out my house and like walking to just just to go grab like a coffee there were the littlest things I missed taking public transportation I missed um just things that city people I don't know you are just second nature um if anybody's listening y'all gotta understand how much Chicago people miss the CTA when they're not in Chicago oh my god and people and people like the friends I would make I, I would suggest, you know, going for a walk or, or I'd say, can we walk there? And people would look <laughs> at me funny and they'd be like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, is, it's not that far. Is it like we could walk? Um, so just things like that uh, really had me in my feelings in, in the early months and, and also just feeling pretty isolated. It took me a minute to make friends down there. You know, I'm definitely a social person, but I don't, I don't make uh friends as easily as as, you know maybe I'd like to or or would have liked to in in that situation so it took me a minute to find my community find people I could trust and so that was hard but as the months went on I genuinely fell in love with Mississippi I loved my coworkers. I loved the paper I was working for I had you know incredible friends and and just important people that came into my life down there and changed my life forever. So I was not desperate to leave by any means, but I absolutely always wanted to get back to a big city. It was that's has always been a goal of mine to work for a major outlet, um, a major publication whether it's national or, or local, like the sun times. And so I always kept my head, you know, on a swivel looking for different opportunities. If different, if I saw an opportunity that I felt like I was ready for, I I was applying. And so when um, it was about nine months into, to my, my time there, I saw a position open with the sun times. And I thought to myself, damn, it it hasn't even been a year yet. Maybe this, maybe it's too soon, but again, like you don't know unless you try. So of course I submitted myself. I, I emailed a couple of people, um, you know, scoured the internet, got, got some people's email emails and, um, it eventually led to me, you know, leaving to come back home. But if I didn't leave, I, I wouldn't have been ready for this opportunity that I, I got with the Chicago Sun-Times. And I had a lot of people tell me when I got back, you know, why did you leave? You know, you were only gone a year. Did you really have to leave? And the answer is absolutely yes. Not only because of the experience that it provided both professionally and personally, but also because if I had been talking my whole life about wanting to be a journalist, and then the first full-time opportunity, the first big challenge, the first thing that like scares me presents itself and I say no, well then 
I'm just like a fraud. I didn't, I didn't really want to be a journalist. I just wanted to be a journalist in a big city. And that's, that's not real to me. You know, you got to take the opportunity that comes to you. And if you're not willing to take the first opportunity that comes to you, then, um, you know, maybe you got to reevaluate. And I don't mean that to say, um, every first opportunity that comes to you, you have to say yes. I just mean, if you're not really willing to, to be challenged and to do something that you're scared of, just because you're waiting for the easier choice, then, you know, maybe it isn't, maybe, maybe that, that whatever you're chasing isn't really for you. Maybe you're chasing something else. And that's a hard lesson. I think that's a lesson I had to learn. Like I was decent at writing and the broadcast path seemed so littered with missteps or there was, it was seemed like everything was leaning towards TV and I never wanted to do TV. So I got into journalism because I was pretty good at it. And then once the wall hit, it was just like flailing. So that is a good lesson for, for any aspiring uh, journalist or media personality to learn, especially because there's nothing... I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that this is not what I want to do. This is not what I was meant to do. But if you keep pushing for something that you don't want to do, then you're never going to get it. Or if you get it, you're never going to really be happy with it. Right. Yeah. You're never going to appreciate it. And I also just want to reiterate, like, just to clarify kind of what I mean, this business has, has in a lot of ways been glamorized people, uh, perceive it as an entertainment field. And in a lot of ways it is, you know, I, I used to be that young aspiring journalist who thought it would be so fun to be on TV and do all these cool things, blah, 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 blah. But at the root of it, it's about sharing stories, connecting people through storytelling and sharing the truth. And you could do that anywhere. And if you're not willing to do that anywhere, if you're not willing to start, you know, at the bottom. And again, not, not saying that Mississippi or the Clarion Ledger by any means are the bottom, but if you're not willing to, to go through the fire to, to get to the top, then, you know, maybe it's not a journalism job that you're looking for. Maybe it's, it's something more flashy, more, um, you know, I don't know if I'm making any sense. <laughs> it's tough. I think it's tough to figure out exactly where, what you want to do or, or where you best fit in because I don't want to get too much in, into this topic but the proliferation of what journalism is like even when we were young it was you are a newspaper reporter you're a radio reporter you're a tv reporter those are like three paths and then blogging started with like yahoo and a couple of other outlets online when we were in like maybe the middle of grade school and then mm -hmm. everything exploded. So you could come from so many different angles. I think for me that confused things because it was like, you know, where can you go to get in, so to speak, to get ahead? And I don't know, this might not be making sense either, but I think it's, that is part of, of why it's, it's difficult for people to find the right niche for them sometimes because there is so much out there. There's so much opportunity. And you want to know something. what the way, way you find your, your place in this is through trial and error. Like everyone thinks that, oh, I, I need to pick one box to check. If I'm a newspaper reporter, well, then I can't be 
a broadcaster. If I'm a broadcaster, well, then I can't, you know, be a magazine writer. If I'm this, then I can't be that. And, and excuse my language, but fuck that. Like if you are passionate about writing, but you also got a lot of energy for TV, who's, who's telling you, you can't do both. I used to have so many professors who told me you have to find one niche and be really good at it. Like that's how you set yourself apart. And that didn't make sense to me because I did like producing, you know, video content as much as I liked, you know, hosting a, or anchoring the, the daily Iowan television sports segment. And then when I got into writing, I loved how deep you can, you can get with words. And I think that you can always pivot. So the only way you ever really know what you're meant for is, is to try something. And if you, if you stop before you try, because you think, um, you know, you're only meant for one thing, well, then you're preventing yourself from, from truly tapping into what's meant for you. I mean, out of all of the, the gems that you've dropped over the last 15 minutes, I can only imagine that a lot of these were gleaned during your time in Mississippi, as well as your time uh, back with the Sun-Times. But if you had to take one thing that you didn't know or didn't have any inkling about what the business would be, what you're, that you learned in Jackson, uh, what would that be? One thing that I, I didn't think I was going to learn, but learned in Mississippi? Yeah, like an unexpected, um, something unexpected that you that you learned. Like when, when you said earlier, your mom told you, find the story behind the story. Uh-huh. I don't think I heard that until my um, advisor in college taught it to us in class, which is honestly nothing to do with her. I was just like, it's kind of late, but it seems so, in- it's so integral and intuitive. And uh-huh. it was funny to me that I got it late. So if there was something that you learned that you didn't learn in school, you didn't pick up anywhere else that you learned in Mississippi. Um... I need to take a second and think about that. Um, The thing that's like really coming to the front of my mind right now is, is just that people are not always who they say they are. And I, I know that that's something that stretches beyond, you know, a career advice but in journalism you interview coaches players and at least for me like I'm a bit of a naive person I I feel like I always um tend to think the best of people until they prove otherwise and honestly sometimes they don't deserve that and so I I learned through different experiences in Mississippi that Um, just because someone's a coach doesn't mean they, they care about their players just because someone's talking about, you know, wanting the best for one of their players doesn't mean they mean it. And I'm not saying that that's something that, you know, ends up getting reported on, but I think that I just learned to, you know, trust people a little less and, and be more critical of people in, in high up positions. Again, I I think that some people might hear that and be like, well, that's something I already knew, but for me, it wasn't, I, I really, um, you know, I still do struggle with that. Like I, when I, when I talk to someone, I, and and they say good things, I believe good things. It, It, it's, it's not, um, it's, it's not second nature for me to 
to be overly critical of, of people all the time. And so that was something that I had to learn to do down there because not everybody was <laughs> as good and Southern as, as they, they pretend to be, you know, that Southern charm or whatever they call it. I think, yeah. I think that's, that's not always a lot of times that's, that's just, um, a window decoration or whatever the saying is, you know, that's not real. So it just, it taught me to be more critical of people and, and who they say they are. Something that I wanted to talk about with the NWSL, with the National Women's Soccer League, the Utah franchise. And then at the end of August, after the uh, Red Stars went to their second straight championship with the second straight finals and the, the news broke about Coach Rory and his mm-hmm. resignation. I, I try to I try to look at these things from a measured perspective where I can, um, in terms of one not being as close of a fan as as some other people I know, but a similar worry I have with the uh, WNBA is that as more eyes are on the league, as the league becomes more of a profitable business, things that people expected are going to go by the wayside and. Also, stories like this, I think, are going to come out more. And I saw a lot of people saying, and rightfully so, that it seemed like the league, the NWSL, had put success ahead of player safety. And I wanted to get your, you know, it's it's a wide, that's a wide question, but how does the league handle this? How do they properly move forward in a time where they, like, I know so many people who were going to Red Stars games and have picked up the team and rightfully so, but you have something like this and it's, I I don't like the phrase, but it's a real come to Jesus moment. Mm -hmm. How does the league handle that? How do fans handle it? What what needs to be done? You know, I have to be honest about, you know, this specific topic and, and my coverage of the red stars. When I took over the sky beat, obviously my, my coverage plans had to change. I, I, physically could not commit as much time to covering the red stars. So I just want, you know, that to be clear before I answer that question so that people are aware I am by no means an expert. And if you need experts, there are great reporters at the Washington post. Meg Linehan is, is um, an incredible reporter. So, so there are incredible reporters who are covering this league day in and day out, and you should absolutely turn to them for this kind of perspective. But what I will say from my experience covering the league and the red stars is that it, they both the, the red stars as, you know, an individual team and the league as a whole completely lacks transparency. And that is so problematic, especially when things like this happen, bad things happen all all the time, every day, but if you are an entity like the Red Stars and the NWSL and you lack transparency when those bad things happen, that just points to so many, so many problems. With the Red Stars, after, after this news you know, broke, th- there was no press conference. There was no moment to talk with ownership or, or anybody on within the team, you know, and I, I reached out to both Rory and Arnhem Whistler, um, the majority owner of the red stars. And it was crickets. 
So how is that possible? I mean, I have no answer for that. And, and when you're, you're covering a league and a team and things are handled so poorly, it, first of all, prevents you from doing your job in, in any capacity. How, right. how can you re- report on, on an issue that there's, there's no, there's no conversation about. Um, and again, obviously that's, that's where investigative journalism comes in and, and why it's so important. And again, I go back to Meg Linehan's work and why her work is so important. Um, and, and others, Meg's, you know, not the only one that that's been breaking stories this year surrounding the NWSL, but, um, that's just, that's it in my mind, transparency, you know, you, this isn't, this isn't a, a prep team. This isn't a high school team. This is a professional soccer team. And your coach was accused of, of mentally abusing players. You need to address that. And, and it has not been addressed in any significant way. And so now the season's coming up and, you know, in, in the coming weeks, they're going to announce a, a coach and new hires. And so what are they, are, do they think this is all going to get brushed under the rug? Because abs- that's absolutely not going to happen. You know, whenever there is a press conference held, the Red Stars are going to be held accountable in that press conference. So they're just delaying what is inevitably going to happen. Yeah, I don't, I had so many things that popped up as, as you were going through. And I, um, I, I got to go back to like the, the transparency issue. Is that a fun? Is that a function of multiple things, like with with there not being a lot of eyes on the league, uh, at least as compared absolutely, to absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so this is this is the thing, when you don't have uh, reporters one holding each other accountable. You know, when you look at let's like use the Bulls for example, mm-hmm. when you look at that beat, there are how many Chicago beat writers on that beat? A, a lot, right? There's the Tribune, the Sun-Times, and then a a zillion others. So they're reporting, they're all in competition with each other, right? So that's, in a sense, holding each other accountable because you want to do great work that rivals your peers' work, okay? So on top of the fact that they have, you know, over 20 reporters covering them consistently every day, they, they have that competition amongst each other to, to be great. And when you look at the NWSL, that's not there. There's, there aren't enough reporters covering the leagues to hold these teams accountable, to hold the coaches accountable, to hold owners accountable. And so they have for so long gotten away with, you know, sending out uh, poorly worded press releases or not sending out press releases at all, because who's it going to? You know, so without reporters to hold these entities accountable and without reporters holding each other accountable, there's there's no transparency because who's asking for it? And again, that's changing because, again, I'm going to say Meg Linehan and also Molly Hensley-Clancy at the Washington Post, Steph Yang at The Athletic, like that's changing. Sandra Herrera, I have to shout out, like that's, it's changing, but- it's absolutely why this the league lacks transparency 
and and that's on editors across America. Like you have to invest in covering these leagues because these leagues need to be held accountable. Like it's a it's a vicious cycle. Yeah, I, I can't I can't say more than that. And I know, it's, <laughs> I know there's there's limitations with um, traditional outlets, but the whole thing about justifying adding reporters at newspapers and adding adding costs is getting out ahead of these stories, right? So there's I would think there should be some impetus for big name uh, outlets to put people on these stories so they're not getting beaten to the punch by other outlets. But it's, I don't even see that as a motivating factor and it's weird. I mean, traditional newspapers are still being motivated by the same old like weak bullshit, excuse my language, but they're motivated by the clicks and, and the readership and, and what historically has, has brought attention to said paper and and we need to think beyond that because readers aren't going to show up for a poor product like reader the red stars are not red stars fans are not going to show up to the sun times for a, a story once every couple months you know like if you invest in the coverage then the cover then the readership will will be there will grow and that's what what I believe needs to change about women's sports coverage across the country. It starts with investment. I mean, we are asking these leagues to invest in the players. We're asking these leagues and teams to invest in the players. Like as journalists, we also need to invest in, in the coverage. Yeah. I mean, and I know that, like you said, I've, I've read some Meg Linehan, some of the other writers, forgive me, I'm not as familiar with. But as the story was going, these are the people I was going to. And the only other, the only other possible misstep there is I think you get, um, if you don't have multiple people on this, you tend to go to one person for the coverage. And that's not to demean whomever that person is for their abilities. But I think it, you fall into the trap, and this is going a bit off topic, you, you might fall into the trap of, this is the person that I can trust. And so when you lean that heavily on one person for your news source, it, um, anything that they say is what you're, is what you're going for. Let, yeah. Which office. goes back to what I was saying about the bulls. When you have a bunch of sources, reporters, you can trust you're you're hearing all different takes. You're hearing different perspectives. You're, you're hearing different voices and that's yes. really important in coverage. No, most definitely. Well, as, as we wrap up, um, once again, what's good radio, Andy, thank you for coming back on. We had the technical difficulties the first time, but so many things broke um, after that, <laughs> that it was, it was honestly cool that you, that you were able to make time. And so we had this conversation amidst all of that, all of your experiences. And um, we didn't even talk, he's like, we had the same experience coming up with single parents who pushed this on in this game. Yeah, I feel like we talked about our single parents more in the first first time we recorded, but like, hey, we, we love them just as much as we did on that day. Single moms, man. They could, just, they could destroy the world and rebuild it in a day. Oh my God, I swear to you. It's like, I, people talk about like, um, you know, uh, what the strongest like animal is or the most badass like <laughs> person in the world is. And it will always be single mothers to me. There is nothing a single mom will not do to, to make sure her kids <laughs> survive and thrive. 
Now, as we, as like I said, as we come to the to the, um, the end of this, as always on What's Good Radio, I ask um, every guest what they find good about what they do, and in the midst of all the things that we we've discussed, how um, how you learn those lessons, how you had those great opportunities going down to Mississippi and then coming back for the Sun Times, the whirlwind of things that are at hand for the sky on this beat, and all the the fun and cool stuff you've done and experiences you had, especially this past season, and then what's what's going forward, what's potentially going forward for WNBA, for the NWSL. What do you find good about what you do and what you're able to do in your career? What is the thing that really keeps you coming back every day, even on the bad days, especially on the good days? You know, I'd love to know if I answered this question the same as I'm about to. Um, so maybe you could, we could text about back, it. Yeah. yeah, we could text about it later. Cause I, I definitely would love to know, but, but on today, the, the thought that's coming to my mind is absolutely the connection, not just that I get to experience every day with people that I, I share stories with or conversations with rather, and then I'm able to share their stories, but also the connection that storytelling provides readers I just think back to again how how much admiration I had for LeBron James when I was was younger and the idea that someone could read a story about Diamond or Courtney or Allie, Candace, Kalia and and feel like either they want to be like them or or they relate to them or you know, James, it, it, James and his, his wife, Edvige and their son, Jet, like there's, there's so much personal connection that, that these, these humans can provide. And it's truly like an honor to be able to connect people to them. And so, you know, when I think about why I do this and what inspires, you know, my, my continuation in, in this business, it's absolutely the connections that, I'm able to experience myself and then also share like my niece. Um, she saw the Kalia copper cover uh, on the Chicago sun times over the summer. And she, she just knew, she knows now who Kalia is. She had it, they had it hanging on their little easel in their house. And, and it was something that they love to look at. Like they nice. look at Kalia and love her and, <laughs> So it's just, it's, it's things like that. I just storytelling like music, like, you know, so many other mediums. It's just, oh my gosh, it's so powerful. So I just feel really thankful that I get to connect people to, to these stories and to these humans. So well said, Annie. And honestly, I, I feel the same way. The, the fact that I've been able to work this beat in some capacity is uh, the coolest thing about this has always been getting to know people whether it's from a distance or, or up close and so from a distance it's the players the coaches typically and getting that getting this insight into James Wade this past season has been so so cool for me as a black man who coaches um, pl- athletes in another in another forum and the couple times that I've that I've DM'd him after press conferences and he's responded, it really means a lot. And then getting to know you and Maggie and uh, my guy James K. <laughs> James, my man James, who brought me into this, I owe him I owe him a ton. Uh, but getting to know you all up close, it makes it a lot. It makes a lot of it worth it. Um, the fact you know, going back to when I was taking the train up to Allstate, 
and that that led that's led to this it makes a lot of it worth it so i i wholeheartedly agree with you and even if i yeah. did what you said was great <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, no we're really like so lucky to get to get to do this i and i don't take a single day of it for granted even the really you know ugly days it's like you're still able you're still connecting you're you're experiencing human connection on a really unique level and i think that's that's really cool this has been what's good radio with annie costable of the chicago sun times on the chicago sky beat fashionista extraordinary <laughs> annie please let the people know how to find you on social media anything you've got going or just as you did before any other journalist that you wanted or any other people that you want people to know about listeners of the show you know what? There are so many incredible uh, WNBA writers and, and reporters right now. I'm thinking of Christina Williams. I just had a conversation with her the other day. Um, and so she just popped to the front of my mind. So I'm going to take yeah. a second to shout out Christina because I think she does incredible work. Um, but there are just so many. So when you say, are there any other reporters? Listen, go to my Twitter and check out who I follow because all of them just <laughs> go and follow every <laughs> single one. And right now, I mean, the, the hot topic is free agency and I'm making it my mission to bring every single sky story, um, as it relates to free agency to, to everybody. So if you're not subscribing to the sun times, go ahead and subscribe because I promise, um, it's going to be worth it. We're going to keep you updated on what Courtney decides, whether or not Allie Quigley retires, you know, what happens with Diamond to Shields. There's so many, so many important things that are popping off right now. So definitely, if you're able, subscribe to the Sun Times or, you know, go ahead and, and follow me on Twitter at Annie Costable. It's just my name. <laughs> and I, my, uh, I'm so dumb. The equal, follow the Equal Play podcast that Annie hosts. Uh, just had Cheryl Reeve on there. Check that out, man. That the opportunity, the, the fact that you get that opportunity is so awesome, and it's it's a good show. I appreciate that. You know, that was also something that was just inspired by connection. I I was super inspired by some of the conversations I was having with with women for you know written stories, and I was like, it's not really fair that I get to talk to you know, someone like Cheryl Reeve for 30 minutes and all that the readers are getting is maybe like a short, uh, one short quote. So I'm like, I have to do this in a way that, you know, someone gets to listen to the entire conversation and, and yes. learn the same way that I'm learning from a person like Cheryl or a, a person like James, um, Kalia, you know, the people that I've had on there, because everybody that I have on there, again, it has such an inspiring, incredible story. And not because it's, this is what I'll say. And James Wade said this the other day to me in, in a, in an interview, he said, it's not about rich in a sense of, of money. It's, it, it's, he's rich in the sense of who he has around him, um, his life experience. He, he's a rich man. And so all of these people that I have on this show are rich people. And it's not always because of money. It's because of their experience. And I think that they could teach us all how to be rich people as well. Annie, thank you once again for coming on the show. People of Earth, thank you for listening to What's Good Radio. As always, find us online at anchor.fm slash what's good radio one. That's what's good radio and the number one. I am on Twitter at Quandary Kitten. That's K-W-A-N-D-A-R-Y Kitten on Twitter. 
And if you don't like listening to me here, you can listen to James K and I talk about WNBA and Chicago Sky Free Agency all winter long on the Skyhook podcast. And that's at the Skyhook pod on Twitter. One last thing, Andy, you talked to Stephanie Dolson on Equal Play, and I've gotten some heat and some um, cocked eyebrows from our listeners on the Skyhook. Do you think that Stephanie has considered move uh, retirement or moving on to a different career this off season, or is she still playing? Chris, Chris, listen, I listen to your guys's podcast. I love you and James so much. And I, I love your podcast. I don't miss it. When you said that <laughs> I was shook to my core, you are, you're a brilliant reporter. But when you said that, I was like, what? Where is this where is this take coming from? No way is Stephanie Dolson retiring this year. There's okay. no way. I mean, could she be in I don't in the next 5 years maybe, but she is not retiring. There's no way. If and that honestly. happens, guys, if that happens, like please <laughs> like all unfollow me, report me whatever, but there's no way Stephanie Dolson is retiring. And I want to make it clear, I was not trying to put it out there as like I had some source. I just thought in talking with her and looking at the things that she has done, that it wouldn't be out of this out of the realm of possibility just because she has done so much. And she and she seems like somebody who is not focused on this as an end-all be-all, like she could do other things and be so successful. So if we if we were looking at somebody uh, that I thought could could pull it off and be really good with it right now, it was Stephanie. But in no way did I have a source of any kind that said she was thinking about retirement. It was just something that popped into my head that I thought could be plausible. Yeah, guys, no, she she's not retiring and she is going to continue hustling on and off the court. She's she's incredible. She's, you know, an entrepreneur and and she's going to continue that, but she she has a she has some years left left on the basketball court for sure. Okay, good for everybody to know. Um, and I will continue taking these L's in the name of <laughs> in the name of putting questions out there. This has been What's Good Radio. Until next time, folks, be good and do great things. We'll see you then. The What's Good Radio theme was written and produced by Marcel Ayers. Find more of his music online at soundcloud.com slash CEL Lucky Menace. Listen to every episode of What's Good Radio on anchor.fm slash what's good radio one.